Amen. Thank you, Dave. Uh, if you have a Bible, if you'd like to open up with me to 1 Timothy, continue on our series there. We've been working through the beginnings of chapter 1 in 1 Timothy. What we've seen so far is uh, Timothy is in Ephesus, and Paul is, is calling Timothy to get, get on with it. He's, he's uh, exposing false teachers that are there, that are teaching things that are focused on the Old Testament uh, myths, genealogies, just leading to vain speculations. Paul's exposing that. Then he's, in contrast to that, he's saying, hey, Timothy, but we want to be about the gospel. That's what we want to be about. We want to be about the, the word of God that changes people's lives. And then Paul, what we looked at last week, Paul's like, and look at my own life as an example. He's like, I, I actually used to, <laughs> what Paul was saying, or Paul confessed, he was a blasphemer, blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He's an insolent opponent. He used to, like, persecute Christians. But because of God's grace and mercy, uh, he was saved. And he put his faith and trust in Jesus. So Paul's saying, hey, look at these false opponents. Look at their lives. Look what the fruit of that is. Look at our message. And here's an example. Look what Christ has done in my own life. And, and today, though, we're going to continue as we look. Paul wants to remind Timothy, after kind of going through, hey, the false teachers, and here's the gospel, here's an example of my life. Paul wants to remind Timothy uh, what Timothy has been called to, and, and the, kind of the anointing on his life, and the battle that he's actually facing, and the ministry he has there in Ephesus. So that's what we're going to look at today. If you want to stand with me as we read God's word, we're just looking at um, chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. This morning, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. So I've called this, this message, How to Fight as a Christian, and there's truth to that. It's more I'm really bad at titles, uh, truth be told. So this is, that's the best I could do, but you'll see there's a, there's a war that Timothy is called to. There's a battle that he's facing within the church, and Paul's kind of reminding him what he needs to do. Again, this is... This message here this morning, this is the blessing of, of expositional preaching, of going through a book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If, if I was picking scripture on my own, I don't know if I'd necessarily land in this text. But this is what we have in front of me, like what is God communicating? What did he communicate to Timothy? What's he communicating to us here this morning? I think he has a lot to tell us. First, I want us to see, looking at verse 18, if Timothy's in this battle or how to fight as a Christian, what is your weapon? We'll be thinking about that. We'll be finding that out as we look. Look at verse 18 with me. Paul writes, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy. This charge. Uh, what is the charge that Paul entrusted to Timothy? It, it could be, and I think it's all of these, what he said in verse 15. This charge I entrust to you. Verse 15, Paul said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Hey, I give you this charge. You have this message. 
In verse uh, 10 and 11, after kind of talking about what the false teachers were doing, Paul said, no, we want to do we want to be about sound doctrine. Verse 11, in, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with, with which I have been entrusted. Paul's like, I've been entrusted with this message, the gospel, and now I'm entrusting it to you. You have this charge. You have this message. And of course, we see this language earlier on in verse 3. Paul, Paul says, I, I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Part of the charge was you need to talk to people within the church, people that need to be cast out, they need to be stopped doing what they're doing. There's a battle he was facing. And then again in verse 5, we see that language again. The aim of our charge is love. So all throughout, and I think it's all of those things. There's this, this language, this word charge can also be translated command. And one, one uh, commentator notes this, it's used for a military order. As such, it, as such, it's not a suggestion. It's not open for discussion. Paul's not like, hey, Timothy, I have something for you. If, I don't know, if you, if you want to do it, you can do it. If not, he wasn't passive aggressive about it. He's like, hey, I have something for you all throughout. He keeps kind of using this language. There's this charge, there's this command. There's this work that we've been entrusted with. And again, what have they been entrusted with? Verse 11, been entrusted with the gospel. Paul was entrusted with the gospel, the message that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. And he's like, and Timothy, I'm passing it to you. Now you've been entrusted with the message. You need to go and share. You need to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And even actually this whole, this whole sermon series, looking at 1 Timothy, I've actually kind of titled it Entrusted. Because not only we're, as a church, we've been entrusted with the gospel, we've been entrusted with the word of God, with sound doctrine, we've been entrusted with leadership in the church, we've been entrusted with caring for one another. We've been entrusted with so many things, I think we'll continue to find out more and more. What are we, have we been entrusted with? Have I been entrusted with? What have the elders been entrusted with? What's the responsibility? So Paul Reminds him, this charge, I entrust you, Timothy, my child, this special relationship they had where it was like a, 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 a son to a father, this intimacy, but still in that, he's like, hey, you have something to do. I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. There is something said about you. There is something commanded you to do. And it talks about in this text, what are these prophecies? What happened? If you just look at 1 Timothy 4, uh, 13 to 14 with me. I look at verse 14. Because I think as we figure out what were the prophecies, what was said about Timothy, then we can find out what is the weapon we are to use in fighting the war in the church. He says this, uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Verse 15, practice these things, immerse your things in them so that all may see your progress. Like, well, what is the gift? What was said about him? But if you look at verse 13, I believe this is the gift. This is what was said about him. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, right? Because the next verse is, do not neglect, neglect the gift that you have. Paul, at some, or Paul and some other elders and leaders at some point laid their hands on Timothy 
And they called him to this ministry. And part of the ministry he was called to was to preach the word, to teach the word, entrusted with the gospel. Again, this, this laying on of hands, this prophecy, some people, one commentator, Roloff, understands it to be words of exhortation and orders spoken during kind of like an ordination ceremony. Like even uh, Kyle Hunter, who just started Redemption Edmonton, I went up there a few weeks ago, and at the beginning, kind of their official service, I had the privilege of laying hands on him and praying for him. And I exhorted him from 2 Timothy 4, chapter 2, I said, preach the word in and out of season. Like, this is your ministry. This is what you need to be about. I think for sure that happened, but it also could have been in Acts 13. There's this meeting, there's this gathering together of people, and they're praising the Lord, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the mission I have. And then the church laid their hands on them and prayed for them and sent them out. So it could have been someone received this word. Hey, Timothy, you have to preach the word. This is a word from God for you. Whatever it is, I want you to, I hope you can see clearly this gift, this laying on of hands, this calling to ministry, it was a call to preach, to teach sound doctrine. I believe that is one of the the main things that was said about him when they laid hands upon him. So if we go back again and look at the text, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage a good warfare, by the prophecies previously made about you, by the things that you've been called to, you may wage the good warfare. What was the weapon that he'd been given? I believe it is the word of God. It was the, it was the gospel. It was sound doctrine. It was scriptures. He was to teach it. He was to proclaim it. He was to teach others with it. Just a question. Do you have that weapon? Is it with you? Are you learning how to use it? Do you bring it to church? Do you you read it at home? Are you working to understand what God has said? I'm going to continue. We're going to continue to talk about this scripture. I think the word of God, sound doctrine. Talk about how to use it. But I believe this is what Paul entrusted Timothy with, with sound doctrine, with scriptures. This is also what we've been entrusted with. But do we, do we open it? Do we read it? Do we take the weapon that has been given to us? So Paul said to Timothy, with, by these prophecies, by what has been given to you, you may wage the good warfare. Other translations, fight the good fight. Think about this. When did this fight start? This fight that he's speaking of. Wage the good warfare, fight the good fight. Well, it started in a garden, right? In Genesis chapter 3, after God made all things, and they're very good, and Adam and Eve, and he put them in a garden. And then there, in Genesis chapter 3, right near the very beginning, this serpent appears, and he says to Eve, did God really say You couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and light? Did God really say, ever since that question has been posed, there's been a battle? Do you you think of the Christian life as a battle or a fight? Or sometimes, sometimes our our kind of North American Christianity is like, trust in Jesus, and it's just going to be a walk in the park. 
They're like running through daisies and singing songs, utter joy. And there, there is great joy, there is great peace in following the Lord, but I just want you to show you there's also, there's a battle that you're in. If you want to, you're following Jesus Christ, I want to take you to just a couple places. Ephesians chapter 6, a 10 to 12. Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, the end of this letter. Paul says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against one another. It is a spiritual battle, and it's raging on around us. Right? That's why Paul would continue, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. There is a battle that we are in. And just think again, where was Timothy? Timothy was in Ephesus. I just want to remind you what Paul said about Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, 28 to 32, Paul's talking to the elders who are at Ephesus. And he's like, I may never see you again. And he kind of, he encouraged them, but then he also kind of left them with a little bit of a warning. He said this in Acts 20, 28 to 32, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, listen to this, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. This is what Paul warned the elders at Ephesus. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is what's going to happen. You need to know it's coming. In 1 Timothy, it's happened. Paul also says this, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Interesting, what does Paul say? Hey, there's going to be a group of people coming. They're going to be like wolves among you. You're going to teach twisted things. They're going to pull people away. And what does he say? I commend you to God and to the Word of his grace. This is going to happen. What do you need? You need trust in God. You need his word. In order to wage the good warfare, I hope you can see that the weapon is the word of God. It's sound doctrine. Now just thinking, how do you use your weapon? How do you use Do you just get a big study Bible or make sure it's hardcover? And you just, <laughs> just take people out? <laughs> no, the example I want to show you a few places. One, I want to take you to Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Let's look at how did Jesus use the word of God. Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. Matthew 4, uh, verse 1. 
See, I just cheat. I have everything marked. That's why I can turn very fast. Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is right after his baptism. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love that. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So he, Jesus is worn down, he's weak, he's exhausted, then the devil comes to tempt him. He answered, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that comes from the mouth of God. What is, how does Jesus answer the devil? It is written. And he quotes scripture. In verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Listen to this. The devil is now quoting scripture out of context. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus' response, and Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Every time the devil said something, what does Jesus say? It is written. He had the weapon. It's the word of God, the authority. Jesus brought God's word out as the truth, as the authority, as the sword of the Spirit. Right, if we were in that passage there in Ephesians and we look at all the different armor, well, there's one kind of offensive weapon. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. Another example, just thinking, like, how do we use this? So Jesus just knew the scripture. It is written, just proclaimed it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 with me for a moment. Another example. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 to 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Like we're not trying to take each other out with fists, with guns. Like our weapon is a spiritual battle. In verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Think about even Paul in 1 Timothy. Paul was using the word of God to, to just expose these false teachers who were trying to use the law and different speculations. And Paul was exposing them. No, that's not true. The gospel, that's what's true. For ourselves, you think in talking with others, we can have all types of excuses. People can have all types of different philosophies, various teachings, and you, you say, no, but this is what it says in the word of God. It is written. There's an authority there. In our own lives, our minds, our hearts, as we're reading it, as we're meditating upon it, things are exposed. 
Just, just think even in our own day and age how, it could, how we could be used to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. You know, there's this understanding, there's this, this kind of uh, philosophy, religion of our day, all roads leads to God. Whatever you're doing, doesn't matter. But then you read in Scripture, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Or in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he said, there's no other name under heaven under which men, men and women, must be saved. So there's this opinion, there's philosophy, like, and then there's the word of God. It's clear. Even just thinking, this, this idea that as, as humans, as we're living, we're destroying our planet and humans are the ones at fault. And what is it doing? It's taking the earth, creation, and putting it above humans, which are also creation. Instead, we read in Scripture, in Genesis, God said he made everything very good, and man and woman were to have dominion over it, to watch over it. And But we have this philosophy in our day and age that tries to put the earth over humans. But we read in Scripture that is not the case. Colin Cruz says this about this scripture, the imagery is of a stronghold breached and those sheltering behind its walls taken captive. So the apostle's purpose is not only to demolish false arguments, but also to bring people's thoughts under the lordship of Christ by the word of God. MacArthur says this, the key to being successful in spiritual warfare is becoming proficient at wielding the sword of the word of God against the lies people believe. It's impossible to fight error without knowing the truth. Just as soldiers train constantly in the use of their weapons, so also must Christian soldiers continually study the scriptures. So again, just thinking about going back to Timothy, how do you use it? Going on in verse 19, so wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Holding faith in a good conscience. We see this, the word faith, over and over again here. 1 Timothy 1.14, Paul said, The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul turned to Jesus Christ. He, he received faith and love. The Christian walk is, is one of faith. Just quote it to you guys. You don't have to turn there. Romans 1.16-17, it says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Listen to this. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, or from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith in Christ for salvation, but faith in God for everything. The Christian walk is just one of, of faith upon faith in the Lord. Friends, if, you're, if your Christian walk doesn't require fresh face daily, you're walking in your own strength. Like in this, in this spiritual war, if we're like, man, I am the Lord's, and there's this battle going on, and we can do nothing in our own strength, I need faith in God continually. I need fresh faith in him, believing, trusting. Paul writes down, you need faith and a good conscience. This idea of a good conscience is found throughout there in this letter. In, in 3 and 9, qualifications for de deacons, they must hold the mystery of 
the faith, and with a clear conscience, again, has these two things together. Just think about having a clear conscience. I just want to read from you Hebrews 10, 22. It says this, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith and faith in Jesus Christ with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, right? Coming to faith in Jesus Christ, I don't know about you, but the conscience I had before wasn't working so well. The things that I were doing, I wasn't listening to anymore, so I had an evil conscience. You come to faith in Jesus Christ, you need your conscience cleansed. You need it changed. And then even as, as we are walking with the Lord, of course, we don't, we don't do that perfectly. So what do you do as you sin? Well, you keep short accounts with God, like you confess your sin. When you're walking, you know you've done something wrong, you're convicted by the Spirit, by your conscience. You confess it to the Lord. Sin in our lives should be like a hot potato. I know we've all played a game hot potato, not maybe many of us have held a hot potato, but imagine if you baked it in the oven for however long, and you take it out of the tinfoil, you're not just going to hold on to it. That's what sin should be like in our lives. When we realize it's there, we don't want to hold on to it. We want to throw it before the Lord, take it to the cross, ask for forgiveness. This is how we can have a good conscience. Like acting on our conscience, if it's functioning correct, correctly, you just think, allowing our conscience by the Holy Spirit to guide us. You know, we're thinking about doing something, we're planning, we're going somewhere, we're with some people, and we're like, we have peace. Like, I, I think this is good. We have joy. Conscience is guiding us. Other times, though, we can maybe be going, doing certain things with certain people, planning, thinking different things, and we can be uneasy. We can feel guilt. We can feel shame. This is, our, this is also our conscience. They're like warning bells. God using that, like, okay, we, we want to turn away from these things. So just think in our, in our own lives how we can use the weapon of God's word to, to walk in, in God's will with fresh faith and a good conscience. Friends, why does this matter? <laughs> I just want to bring this to your attention. Like, you know... Every week, like, okay, hey, open your Bible. Hey, read your Bible. Hey, know what's in Scripture. This is your sword. Because, friends, this is what's coming. I just want to read this from Matthew 24. Jesus talking about the ends of the age. Jesus answered. The disciples are asking, when is the end of the age? And he said, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. We need to know the word of God. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes and, and in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you over up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. We must know the word of God. We must know the truth. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And, and that is our hope. The one who endures to the end will be saved. But friends, we're already in a time, we'll be in a time ever increasing Will it be all types of fake teachings, fake teachers? 
and be drawing many people after themselves. And how do you know? It's going to sound good. It's going to be enticing. It is written. The word of God. We, we need to know it. We need to, whatever we hear, whatever you hear from me, hold up to the scriptures. Whatever you hear from other people, hold it up to the light of the word. We need to know it. We need to open it. We need to study it. So friends, we need to ask God for fresh faith in him. We need to listen to our, our conscience, our renewed conscience. We have this weapon. We need to learn to use it. Continuing on there in 1 Timothy the other two points I think will be a little quicker than these first two. Looking at verse 19, second part to 20, I want you to see the casualties of rejecting God's warnings. The casualties of rejecting God's warnings or, or God's words. Talked about Timothy. Hey, hold faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. They were rejecting what? They were rejecting their conscience. They were rejecting their conscience. See, just think it's like almost like having, you're driving your vehicle and all these check, there's a check engine light come off and often we're like, ah, it doesn't really matter and many times it doesn't. But what, I don't know if you ever had all the lights go off, flashing. One time my alternator was like going and it's just like, all of a sudden, it's a Christmas tree, and the car kind of dies. I'm like, well, it's probably not too good. So I started back up again, and I almost blew up the battery. But imagine that. All the lights are flashing. That's our conscience. And these guys rejected their conscience, like putting tape over, like, that's kind of annoying. I don't want to see that. And they kept going. And what does it say? What happened to them? By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. They made shipwreck of their faith. We're going to follow that analogy here in a moment, but maybe for other people, like, well, I don't take a ship. It's like they made a, a dumpster fire of their faith. These two guys that were called out by name, Paul had already dealt with. They were probably like leaders in the church. They may have been elders. And Paul had already dealt with them. Hymenaeus and Alexander. Hymenaeus, his name appears again in 2 Timothy. So we know, know a little bit about what he was dealing with. In 2 Timothy 2.16, Paul writes to Timothy this, but avoid irreverent babble. They will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among whom are Hymenaeus, there's this guy again, and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened and they're upsetting the faith of some. So they're going around teaching that the resurrection had already happened. Maybe there's some other teachings that they had. They're drawing other people with them. We don't know about Alexander. He may have been mentioned later on in Paul's letter. It seems to be a different guy. But these two men, they knew the truth. They went against it. They quit following their conscience. They went against sound doctrine. If we just use that, that ship analogy, imagine someone sailing and they're reading the depths, they're using sonar, and it's like, wow, it's getting uh, more and more shallow. Yeah, at night, say, like a, a lighthouse is going, like, oh, I think there's rocks approaching, or maybe if it's even, even during the day, and you're like, you're going, and you're like, I think we're going towards the rocks, but doing nothing. 
and crashing into them. How does that happen? It says, by rejecting this, some, some have made shipwreck of their faith. I just want to think about this for a moment because it said throughout the letter a couple of examples for us how some have strayed from the faith, somehow wrecked their faith. Here's, I just want to give you three ways how to shipwreck your faith. Obviously, we don't want to do this. There's some warnings here in Scripture. The first one is follow false teachings. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later, later times, some, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And in 6.20-21, to 21, Avoid their reverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, and by professing that some have swerved from the faith. Follow false teachings. Or I put it another way, have your opinion trump scripture. You're like, yeah, yeah, I know what scripture says, but this is what I believe. It could be about, I, I see in the Bible, it talks about sexual purity. It says that we're to be sexually pure. We're to flee from sexual immorality. I think that's outdated. I think I'm going to do what I want. Or even in the day and age in which we live, like, I don't know, it's really confusing. Genders, it's on this spectrum. We're like, I don't know, I, I read in Scripture, he made them male and female. But you're like, nah, I don't think that's true. Or it could be just be as simple as, man, the Bible makes a big deal about lying. Like in Revelation, when it's talking about those who are going to be outside the gates, outside of heaven with the Lord, it's liars. Ah, hmm, I don't know, little lies. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. If we have our opinion to trump scripture, now we can shipwreck our faith. And secondly, if we, are, if we want to be about our own calling and not God's calling, we want to be about our own calling and not God's calling, just look at, at chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. He's talking about to these widows. We're going to get there in a number of months. But to these, these widows, these younger widows, he's, Paul writes this, I would have younger widows marry, bear, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. And we'll get there and we'll talk about what are the roles and, and what does God call different people to. Paul says, hey, this is what he's calling you to. There's a responsibility with that. But look at verse 15. But some have already strayed after Satan. Be about our own calling, not God's calling. Just, just think in our, if, if you're married or you're, you're a parent, kids, or you're a student in school, and you know, like there's these places you're like, you have responsibility, husband and wives, to love each other, to work on your marriage, lay down your lives for one another, forgive one another. And you're like, yeah, I don't think that's the most important calling in my life. I'm gonna go run after this over here. Or parents, to our, to our children, to disciple them, to raise them up in the knowledge of the Lord. We're like, yeah, I don't know. I think, ah, that's not the most important thing in my life. I have other things I need to do. Or maybe our students in school, 
You're like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be studying. Like, this is what God has called you to at this time. Like, no, there's other more important things I need to do. And we can turn our back on it. All types of examples. Or a job that you have to do. You're at work. You're on the clock. But you're like, I don't think that's the most important calling right now. I need to do other things. There's all types of things that can pull us away, whether it's the selfish desires, entertainment, pleasure, all types of things. Like there's this clear calling that we have in our lives, and if we turn our back on that and go away, that's how we can shipwreck our faith. And lastly, just one more example from the letter. In uh, 6.10, you want to shipwreck your faith? Love money. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Money in itself is an inanimate object. It's not evil, but the love of money is evil. Right? If you're like always on your mind, always on your heart, I just need more, I don't have enough, how can I get some more? It becomes an idol in our lives. And if money is like the thing that's reigning supreme, it can shipwreck our faith. I haven't really talked about the antidotes to that. Of course, it's the gospel. Of course, it's faith in Jesus Christ. The last one, which will be true of these ones, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We talked about this in our small groups. It's not just for athletes. In the context, it's like whether I'm well hungry or well fed, whether I have lots or little, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Faith in Jesus Christ. Then we're not like always pursuing money. We're not always pursuing pleasure. We are like we're fulfilled in Jesus. We see the casualties of rejecting God's warnings of these two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander. I pray if, if any of these warnings we just looked at grabbed your attention that you would listen, you would turn from it, you would turn towards God. Going back to this letter, I want us to see Paul's solution for those who are going astray. And in that, I want us to see an important lesson when it comes to the church. We have verse 20. Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And in this point, we're talking about guarding the purity of the church. These guys were teachers, again, they were probably elders who were leading others astray. They were taking away from following God. They were leading people, if you will, into the rocks, shipwrecking their faith. What does Paul say? Hand them over to Satan. I just want to point out the devil, Satan, appears a number of times in this letter in 3 verse 7 and 5 verse 15. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter refers to, he says, the devil, Satan is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. All throughout scripture, the Bible speaks of a real adversary named the devil. He has demons, fallen angels to do his work. If scripture speaks so clearly about this. We shouldn't follow our culture and that they assume he doesn't exist or paint the devil as this person in a little red suit with horns and a pitchfork. The scriptures continually speaks of the devil being real and at work. I just want to share this from Revelation 12, 17. 
I know I'm going to a lot of places and not bringing the context, but I want you to hear the one part. Then the, the dragon, that would be the devil, became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So if you hold to the testimony of Jesus, if you hold to the commandments of God, there's that war. You got an enemy. You got an enemy in the devil. So the Bible continually speaks of, of this as being something real. What does that mean? Hand them over to Satan. If you just, just think about that, handing them over to Satan would imply that being in the church, being with God's people, there is a blessing. There is a covering. The same is true in Christian homes. For kids to grow up, even before they know the Lord, of the parents who know the Lord, even if one parent knows the Lord, there's a, there's a blessing in that. William Mount says this, the world outside the church is Satan's realm. By being removed from Christian fellowship, Hymenius and Alexander are separated from the spiritual protection of the church and fully exposed to the power of Satan. So what is Paul doing when he says, hand them over to Satan? He's practicing church discipline. We, we get church discipline, this idea for it, from Matthew chapter 18. I'm just going to turn there for, for a moment. Matthew 18. There's these steps to go through. Verse 15, Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is the steps we are to take. If someone sins against you, you go and you talk to them. Or even if you see sin in someone's life, you go and you reach out to them. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. They're handed over to Satan. This phrase is used in one other place here in Scripture. It was in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 5. I just want to, I want to read it because I could try to paraphrase it. I'm going to miss what's being said here. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, it is actually reported that there is sexually immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. This is what was happening in the church. And you are arrogant. You ought you not rather to mourn. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I'm present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, when you come together in the church, and my spirit is present with you with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Notice what the desired outcome is. Destroy the flesh, that the spirit may be saved. Be removed from the church, hand them over to Satan, that maybe they'll repent in hopes that they will be humbled, in hopes that they will turn back. I hope you can see that. The goal of church discipline is repentance. 
There's even this term used here. These two gentlemen who I've handed over to Satan that they may, be, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This word learn, one translator says this. It's used elsewhere by Paul to refer to restorative instruction. It's not blind punishment. It's like they've been handed out, they've been pushed out in hopes that they're going to learn and come back. That's the heart of it. The goal of church discipline is repentance, to see people turn away from life-destroying sin. So what if, what if me or you, if we see someone who has these kind of warning lights going on, we see them going to the rocks, so to say, on the verge of shipwrecking their faith, what do we do? What we, first, obviously, we pray for that person. That's actually the next section of Timothy after this. talks about prayer. We pray for them, then we go and talk to them. We reach out to them. We speak to that person. And then if they're not listening, then we grab someone else. We go and we plead with them. If that doesn't work, grab the elders. Talk to that person. It's a long process. I hope, I, I want you to see this. It's a lot of praying. It's a lot of weeping. It's like pleading with someone, like, man, do you see where you're going? Do you see the damage this is causing you? It's nothing lightly, nothing to be taken lightly. It's looking out for one another. There's so many ways to shipwreck our faith. As healthy believers, we have other people in our lives who will point out our blind spots or the blatant sin in our lives that needs attention. Our desire, our hope is that small group can be a part of that as we get to know one another, provide accountability and encouragement. Does not this scripture show the seriousness of this? That, that Timothy was given this word, the scripture, sound doctrine. He's fighting the war. And what's at stake? These guys shipwrecking their faith. But friends, I don't want to end the message on this. Lastly, just kind of bring it together. I want us to remember, I want us to see that Christ has already won the battle and his church is advancing. So we see the weapon used to fight as Christians is the word. It is a spiritual fight. We've seen what's at stake. People shipwrecking their faith, leading others astray. Friends, we desire to be a church that remains faithful to God's word, to sound doctrine, to the gospel. We've been entrusted with it. You've been entrusted with it. We desire to guard the purity of the church. And we'll practice church discipline in hopes of helping people repent. Of course, my, my heart's desire is we would never have to. But if it comes up, we, we would, we'll need to. We need to be obedient to the Lord and guard the church, and hopefully call people back to repentance. Our job is faithfulness to God and his word. In this battle, I just want to remind you, though, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. For almost 2,000 years, everything around has been trying to crush the church, crush believers. We're still going, we're still meeting, we're still gathering. Because Christ is building his church. His gospel is being proclaimed. By his spirit, lives are being changed, transformed. And God is getting the glory.
And I pray he would continue to. If you want to bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh Lord, I pray you would continue to give us ears to hear. I pray, Lord, that we would clearly see maybe where some of us have warning lights going off in our own lives, that in your kindness you draw us to repentance. Oh Lord, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your love. Also, I thank you for your clarity and your word, and I pray where I made it not clear, oh Lord, may that when we fall to the side, I pray you'd help us, help me to be a man of courage, help us to be people of courage, that we would stand upon your word, stand upon your truth with grace. Oh Lord, I, I, I just pray that which we learn from your word today, oh God, that we'd walk in obedience to you. We see, we know the, the war we're in. Some of us know it more than others. But help us as we walk with you to trust you. Use us to advance your kingdom, O oh Lord. Use us to see your, your church furthered in Red Deer, in Alberta, around the world. Allow us to be witnesses for you, to proclaim your gospel until the day that you return. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.